Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I am Gib Gerard, alongside this week again, none other than John Tesh. John, how you oh, doing? Oh, don't turn me loose, man. I'll tell you what, I since we were on the road doing concerts, I got a chance to start catching up on your interviews. And folks, listen, you gotta, you have to listen to the Dominic uh, D'Agostino uh, that was the keto, a big get. the keto jet. Oh, man, he doesn't do many interviews at all. He's the man. But and it's really what a what an incredible. Even if you don't want to go on the keto diet, you're going to be a keto expert, and you're going to hear about the Navy SEALs and everything. So, oh yeah, he researched. You everybody. need you definitely need to listen to this. And my next one is Mary Newport. Is yeah, it? that's another keto one. She yeah. she's the one that has the book, the Keto Cure. Yeah. Uh, not that we're only about keto, but those are those are two good episodes. Right. And then right. that's her. She. What I like about Mary Newport and Dom D'Agostino. Dom Dom D'Agostino. Uh, does a lot of self experimentation. I dig that. And Mary Newport is also a clinician. She is a she is a, a medical doctor and a scientist, but she has a really great personal anecdote about um, about keto and about her husband who had Alzheimer's. So when you combine those two, it becomes a really nice. Uh, she's right. she's got she speaks from the heart and from the head, which is pretty cool. Such great stuff. So links to great, both of those. I'll great, put links to both of those episodes in great, the show notes. Great guests. And uh, listen, I I read I love reading uh, Inc. Magazine, Incorporated Magazine, yes. and they the, your guest today. They what her her book? Yes, her book. Own your everyday. This our, best our, best book to read to be a better person in 2019. Yes. So yeah. Jordan Dooley, uh, the book lit- literally just came out. Uh, they they've called it a girlfriend's guide to the purpose driven life, which you know is my all time favorite book. I do know that, and yeah. she you know she really does, and it's not just for women because we had a long talk, and and it go it's it's for men and women, but really it has a nice it has a nice uh, tone for for women that that struggle. With some of the more uh, some of the more masculine approaches from a purpose driven life, so like things that women struggle with uh, more, on on the whole more than men, things with per, uh, perfectionism and comparison, and she's really good at cutting to the cutting to the quick with that stuff, and 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 gives you guys some great tools for how to break out of that. I have a problem with perfectionism and it and it paralyzing me and in, in, in working on other stuff. So so she's really good at, at breaking through that stuff and, what, and did, motivating so, did, you. Did she work on you at all? She she did not. It was a great interview, but she did not. We didn't have like a personal time afterwards like i've done a couple of the interviews but uh but she was great and uh and i think you guys will really really enjoy this conversation that, we, that i got to have with her which is again uh, all about wait. how to break out of some of your horrible patterns which is i you know i didn't think that that was going to be my favorite kind of interview to do i like the more sciencey stuff but i have to say when i look back on the interviews that we've done over the last couple of years my favorite ones are the people that are all about breaking out of your routine and breaking out of your pattern and 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 building a better version of yourself. So I, I didn't realize that was going to be the thing for me, but that is. And and here's another great that's, example. Of that. That's so great. I can't I can't wait. Now, and let's let's hit you uh, hit folks with a little bit of intel before we get started with that. A little bit of on brand content. Yeah. Uh, apparently, people are listening. Uh, uh, I just pulled my Alexa out of the out of the uh, out of the plug. I uh, pulled it out of the wall because they're, apparently uh, Amazon employees are listening to the Alexa conversations. I think they can. I think they're, we, we, the it's not like they're just sitting there eavesdropping and trying to find out yeah, what, whether right. your what your recipe for chicken a la king is or your your grandma's favorite uh, cookie recipe. What they're doing is they're listening to the commands that you ask the Echo to do, and when you ask, and and then and then using their human ability to make the computer better understand what you're what it's asking you to do. So you say, you know. Uh, Alexa, find me the nearest the nearest sushi restaurant, and and if 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 Alexa messes that up, then what 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 they're doing is they're listening to the command and then figuring out how best to make the artificial intelligence 
serve you better in the future. But just there's a human that listens to it, so they hear all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you can you can change this apparently, right? Yes. By by uh, disabling the uh, in the privacy sec- that's, settings. That's the nice thing. You can turn all of that off in the privacy settings in the Alexa app. If you if you have an Alexa, an Amazon Echo, and you don't have the app on your phone, you're missing out on a lot of the key features, things you can program, things you can do with it. So you might as well get the app anyway. And if that really bothers you, you should turn it off. They don't get involved. They don't. They don't know who you are, but they could figure it out. Right. And so, if that makes you uncomfortable, and it probably should make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And, turn and, it off. Yeah. So the default is that it's on, so you should yeah. turn turn it off. Uh, and then, and then one more before we uh, get going here, and this this relates definitely to uh, to keto and to Dom D'Agostino, mm-hmm. uh, because we have uh, for the most part sworn off carbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only like five percent of what we eat now. But if you get a whiff of freshly baked bread. Oh. It can put you in a better mood, and this was studied by psychologist, uh, cognitive psychologist Pam Dalton from the Monell Chemical Census Center. Uh, it, her research shows that the scent of bread will change your behavior. Uh, you're more likely to pick up an uh, an item a stranger had dropped when they're in front of a bakery rather than a clothing clothing store. She did uh, this study. That's amazing. I mean, I, it makes sense. I just being on a low carb diet and smelling bread, uh, I feel like it does not put me in a good mood. It makes me resentful. <laughs> Of people who can eat carbs and it just so it just gets under my skin. But yes, I, I absolutely think because what is warm bread? Why do realtors make uh, make your house smell like cookies when they're selling? Right. The the, yeah. the baked smell makes people more inclined and more and, and makes them feel like they're at home. Makes them feel like they're they're a kid again in their grandmother's you know in their grandmother's kitchen. It has all sorts of associations, and because of that, yeah, we're going to be better people because you don't want to you don't wanna make your grandma mad. <laughs> exactly. So the uh, the author of the book "Own Your" I love his title "Own Your Everyday." Jordan Dooley is coming up here in uh, in in just a moment, and i i want to I want to challenge you too because we talked about this the other day. There's so many great interviews, and I really think that uh, that we should work on jukeboxing some of your your favorites meaning just you know play some key sound yeah, bites from, I, from different I think people. we should do it on Facebook live I think we should Oh I think it's a great idea. idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. So here we go. Here's Jordan Dooley with Own Your Everyday. Well, that's her book. Here she is with the interview. You have to get the book. Jordan Dooley, uh, first of all, thank you so much for being a part of the program today. Hey, it is such an honor. Thank you for having me. So your new book, Own Your Everyday, Overcome the Pressure to Prove and Show Up for What You Were Made to Do has been named the uh, the best book to read to become a better better person in 2019 by Inc. Magazine. Is that right? It's one of them. It's included in the list. I think there's some other great ones on there. But yes, it's been an honor to be included in that as well. That's phenomenal. Well, how does it make me a better person? Oh, man. Well, I feel like the number one question that I get asked, I've been doing online content creation and speaking around the country to women all over specifically for the last several years. And the number one question that I get asked is probably all of our number one questions. Well, how do I figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life? Yes. Or how do I find my purpose? Right. And so this book really is like a deep dive into that question. They've been calling it kind of like the girlfriend's guide to a purpose driven life. (laughs) Um, So it's really meant to really answer that question in a way that kind of takes the pressure off. Because I think it's ironic that we all kind of feel this pressure to find our purpose. And my whole argument is like, hang on, maybe it's not lost. Maybe we're looking at it wrong. So mm. that's kind of the premise. And the way I've been describing it in one sentence is a resource that helps you chase after something more, even as you're discovering what that something more is, right? Oh, that's that question. Yeah. But also trying to find contentment where you are, because I think sometimes we can almost become so obsessed with our goals or our ambitions or where we want to go that we yep. do miss out on where yep. we are. So how do we find that balance? And that's really what I uncover in the book. 
uh, I mean, okay, but I but I'm talking to you now, so I have to know uh, how <laughs> how do you find that balance between like how do you find ambition and motivation mm-hmm. with, so, while also yeah. finding contentment because that yeah. those seem to be anathema. Totally. Well, one big theme or one thing that I touch on in the book is this idea of pairing goals with boundaries. So what I had experienced in my own life, let's say, for example, in the fitness specific space, when I was going after a big fitness goal, I wanted to lose a little weight and Mm -hmm. run a half marathon. This was during my college years. This is just the example I put on it, but I think it applies to anything in our lives. I had this big goal. And what started to happen was, you know, I was seeing some progress. I was getting to where I wanted to go. I was building up my endurance. I had leaned out. You know, I was like, yes, we're doing it. Right, but then right, what started right, right. to happen is I kind of became obsessed with it. Like I would run more than I needed to. Mm-hmm. I would do extra workouts before bed. I would, you know, be really obsessive about what I was eating, like to the point where I couldn't even enjoy my life. You know, like mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. And um, it kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, this has gone beyond having a goal. And it's literally take the goal has taken over my life. The mm-hmm. the end game, the outcome, the desired change, as much as we want that to drive what we do and get us out of bed every morning, it almost became something that buried me, which can really happen if we're not careful. So one of the biggest pieces of advice that I talk about in the book is how do we set goals without becoming obsessed with those goals and you know those future ideals that we would like to achieve? And so my suggestion is pair your goals with some boundaries. So going back to that fitness example. I talked about, look, if I want to, you know, train for a half marathon or lose a couple of weight or a couple pounds or even gain some weight, right? We're all in different places. Some right. need to gain, some need to lose. Right. Um, whatever the outcome is, I think sometimes we need to set boundaries on those goals. Like, okay, I'm going to have an accountability partner so that I don't become obsessed with it when I start seeing progress or on the flip side, don't slack on it when I don't see as fast, you know, progress as fast right. as I would like to. Um, and so maybe a boundary could be, if I work out five days a week, I'm not going to work out more than 35 minutes each one of those times. Or... I'm going to have, you know, an accountability partner. So I think that can apply to any big goal we're going after, any dream we're chasing. What are the boundaries on it? For example, with this book, I said, look, I have a big goal. I, you know, want this to be successful. I have certain goals that I have for it, but I'm going to set some boundaries on, okay, I'm not going to be checking Amazon rankings every two hours during launch week. Simple goals like that allow me to still really enjoy the process of going after those goals and the fun of it rather than becoming obsessed with the final outcome. Yeah, I I, I just I, I so what the that's just a lot harder to to to, to do than it is to say, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, totally. it, it reminds me there were there were I I, I think this this is a, a classic story about the race to the South Pole that this reminds uh-huh. me of where there were two teams and one team I'm going to butcher this, but I've read it in a couple of books. <laughs> so the two teams, one team went uh, went a fixed amount of miles every single day, like 20 miles every single day, regardless of the weather, regardless of the circumstances. That's what they did. They made a single move every single day. Mm-hmm. And another team went as far as they could on the good days and then rested on the really nasty days. Um, yeah. And the team that went a fixed amount every day is the one that made it. Yep. The team that yep. that overdid it some days and underdid it others didn't make it, uh-huh. yep. and I and I think that's a that's analogous to what you're talking about. Exactly, and I think that's why you know a big recurring theme of the book is the importance of not trying. I mean, this book is you know very much from my perspective. So I kind of say like I had to realize I was not made to be a one woman show, right? Like even that example, those are teams, and so in our own lives, one big thing is well, who are we asking for help, and are we asking for help? Are we asking for accountability? Are we surrounding ourselves with, you know, like-minded friends, team members, you know, people, accountability? Because that's 
you know, like you said, it's easier to say, oh, I'm going to set this boundary. But if there's no one that we know, love, and trust or that wants the best for us, checking and keeping us in line with all those, those goals and those boundaries, we can really easily get off track. So that was a really big game changer for me. Yeah. Okay. So, so what is your, what is your accountability partner hold you accountable to? Is it just sticking within that? Like that? Cause some days, some days when I'm like, I've, I've run marathons and some days when I'm training mm-hmm. for a marathon, I feel great. And it's like, you know what, mm-hmm. today's going to be a 10 mile run. Cause I need to put those mm-hmm. miles in. So, yep. so you have like a range with your accountability partner. How do you hold, hold yourself to that? I think one of the biggest things I can, I guess a more modern example, since I'm not training to half marathons right now would be even just with building a business and work. And mm-hmm. so because of, I'm an Enneagram three, I don't know if you know your Enneagram I do, number, but... <laughs> and I was actually going to bring that up because like you are a yep. hyper-motivated person. You are uh-huh. the achiever, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. To a fault. <laughs> yeah. So being an Enneagram three, I can tend to overwork myself. And so even just in that regard, especially being someone who has the flexibility to work from home, being a creative entrepreneur, you know, I have an office space, but I also do a lot of work from home or I can mm-hmm. bring my work home with me. It's on my phone. It's really hard for me to clock out because I love what I do. And right. so and my I... husband, who's also my business partner, yeah. <laughs> he is much better about that. We call him the string to my balloon. It kind of helps me from floating away into like work, never, never land, you know. And so um, he will, you know, I've told him and we've had conversations where what are our work boundaries? After this hour, we try to, you know, let's clock out and actually be clocked out. We're not going to touch our phone till this hour in the morning. And so. He's yeah. pretty good about helping keep that pace because his brain doesn't work the same way mine does. He's what, better about balance. <laughs> what Enneagram is he? Um, we think he's a nine, but we always get it confused with the five. They say the five and the nine is most easily um, confused with, with with a man or the most easily, I guess, misdiagnosed. And so <laughs> we're like, we can't, we can't figure out what you are, but we yeah. think he's probably a nine. So for those of you that don't know, the Enneagram we've talked about on the show before, but if you've missed those episodes, the Enneagram is, it's, it not it's nine different personality types and one really great thing about it is that there are healthy and unhealthy versions of each of the types mm-hmm. and instead of like a standard personality test it's really more of a way of looking at yourself and what your healthy behaviors are and what your unhealthy behaviors are and helping you become the healthiest version of yourself within that context mm-hmm. and so the three for those of you who don't know we just kind of talked about it is a uh, it's the achiever you would jordan left your own devices work 24 hours a day, never take care of yourself and use your achievements as, as a big banner for, for who you are as a person. And if your husband is a nine, he's a super people pleaser. So the fact that he stops you from reading, from working late is, is a, is a big deal. But if he was a five, that's the, um, he would be totally introverted and super into reading a lot and, and, Mm -hmm. and learning and, and a real head person. So, and he very much has both those traits. That's why we struggle. Yeah. I, <laughs> he's very much the peacemaker, but he's, he's kind of like the calm in the storm, which is why we think he's the nine. Yeah, to- that totally makes sense. And then the fact that he's able to stop you is is an, mm-hmm. is incredible. Uh, you mm-hmm. talk about this pressure to prove, right, which obviously mm-hmm. is something that's a big deal for you as an Enneagram 3. But yep. why, why do you think the pressure to prove is so real for people? And why does it interfere with our with our ability to find our purpose? Yeah, I think it, it stands in direct opposition for us to show up for what we were made to do, honestly, which is living a purposeful life. And I think a lot of that comes from, I think part of it is our own drive. I think a part of it is healthy. And I want to make sure I acknowledge that. You know, I think we were made with a creative, or not a creative, a competitive edge, right? It's like sure. our survival mode. Sure. So I think to some degree we need that. But I think when competition or drive starts translating, now I'm just doing this out of the pressure to prove myself to myself to yeah. people to the internet like i don't know 
Um, I think a lot of that really comes from, I think, a hyper focus on what we bring and what we can, you know, um, not even really what we bring, what we, what we output. A lot of what we output because we're constantly, I mean, we are in a world of content right now. We're creating content, right? right. And it's awesome. But at the same time, I think so much of our lives has now revolved around output. And we often fail to focus on the input. <laughs> and a yeah, lot of it is putting sure. out content, putting out, you know, accomplishments, all these things. Right. And I also think we, I was just talking with a friend the other day and she goes, you know, I feel like we're all kind of drunk on motivation. And I was totally. like, wow, that's a really powerful way to put it. Like, there's a lot of rah-rah right now. There's a lot of like, go after it, get after it. And I'm here for it. Like on Enneagram 3, I'm like, yeah. you know, on the front lines of it. And I have to catch myself and be like, well, is this creating true, like, you know, is it coming, I think, from, you know, from inside and from a place of purpose? And I also think there's um, like a, a kind of a fight for relevance right now. You know, we're all kind of trying to get our voice heard. It's very loud. There's a lot. And you can always look around now and see all the things everyone else is accomplishing, everyone else is doing. Right. I mean, it's enough outside the Internet space. I talked about this in the instruction of the book. It's like, okay, no matter what situation you walk into, there's generally this pressure to... Um, find your dream, which seems funny, but everyone's telling us go after your dreams, find your purpose, like figure out your life, figure out your calling. You go into a Sunday sermon, you hear find your calling. You go to university, you find, you know, take it your best job. You go online, and I'm again here for it. But it's like I think that message is so loud, and then you couple that with watching everyone else find their, seemingly mm-hmm. find their purpose or mm-hmm. find their dream or get their thing, and it's like what's my thing, you know? And we just start doing things to the point where it's like we almost get on a hamster wheel of like outputting performing and we don't even really know am i aligned with what i sh- truly should be doing right if that makes sense <laughs> yeah no it, it it does so but so i guess though because i think i think too we're, we're kind of in this world of of being data driven now right mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. we do is measurable it's one of the reasons why the apple watch is so exciting and the fitbit yep so because we, we know exactly like how many calories did i burn how many steps did i take like we have these we have these uh, we have these cool. intrinsic <laughs> extrinsic markers, right? So these things that we wear all the time, these things that measure us all the time, we even on our phone know how long we spend in each app. So when we mm-hmm. know that kind of stuff, I think becoming results oriented is just the natural progression of that. And like you mm-hmm. said, there's a real move in terms of all of these authors who are you know hyper into self experimentation, and I I fall mm-hmm. into this too, hyper into uh, being results oriented and, and self experimentation. So mm-hmm. where do we find the value in this data world? Why, why do we yeah. have to reject a lot of that data? How do we get there? I honestly think, you know, having these tools um, is smart. I think there's a lot of, just like Enneagram, right? Like these mm-hmm. are things to help make us more self-aware. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, again, it goes back to this boundary thing. It's like, but at what point is that driving my life? And at what point does that take away my why? And it becomes my everything. Um, you know, and so one big thing for me is, again, I think having self-awareness, utilizing the tools that are available to us can be very wise. Um, but one big thing I've had to think about is, okay, I need to have almost like a why statement for a lot of the things that I do, or I get trapped in comparison or trying to measure up to somebody else just for the sake of measuring up or just to hit. I think, you know, competing against yourself is always a healthy practice. I truly think that's how you can best improve rather than trying to compete against someone else. Um, and so knowing those things is really helpful for that right mm-hmm. so there's benefit to it but you know having a why statement even something as you know if I'm at the gym on the treadmill and suddenly now I'm feeling like I need to run faster than the chick next to me for uh-huh. whatever reason right? Right, right it's like I need to kind of catch myself and go okay 
what's the why of why I'm here? Am I here to steward my heart health and beat my goal from yesterday? Or am I here to outrun this stranger? And I think even just having that little mental discipline of what's my why statement for when I work out, for when I use social media, for when I'm growing my career, yeah. why, like, why do, you know, I think a lot of people have goals that I want to have a seven figure company. And they don't even really know why other than that they hear everyone online saying they built a seven figure company and they feel like I need to do that, you know? Yeah. So it's like, well, why is it that you can put five figures away for your kid's education one day? Is it like, what's your deeper why? Cause then I think you can utilize that data and take from, you know, take it with a grain of salt and as a helpful tool to navigate where you're at and measure without feeling like you're arbitrarily chasing numbers right. just because everybody talks about them. Right. And I, and I think well, a lot of times we get stuck in, in the world's why and not our own why. Exactly. You know, exactly. like, uh, you know, wh why do you want to go to college? Well, because you're supposed to go to college. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. why are you supposed to? Like, do you, is, it is college. And are you, you even supposed to? Right, right. That's a good, good question in this day and age. But like, mm -hmm. but the, the why statement becomes like, why do you want to do that? It, does it help you achieve goals that you have? Does it put you in a position right. that you want to be more? Because it's an expensive thing to do because you're supposed to. You right. Know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So we get into that. I think we get into that. We get into that way too much. So how do I find my why statement? How do I figure out who I am and what I want? Well, I think it's honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, Give like me, you said, that's, in two minutes or less. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You just, I think you just pull it out of thin air. Honestly, yeah. no, no, no. But um, you know, I think a lot of it's taking inventory and actually shutting off the noise. I think one of the best ways to find it is actually for what actually matters. To you. What mm. does? And what's going to matter not in five minutes, not in five years, but in like a hundred years, what's going to matter after I leave? Because I don't get to take all this stuff with me. So what's actually going to last? What's going to make lasting impact? What legacy do I want to leave? I mm -hmm. think asking questions like that, that almost outlives you and like the few minutes that you might impress somebody <laughs> online or in your company and actually think from a more uh, kind of zoom out and be like, okay, from the bigger picture and what actually is going to leave a lasting impact on this earth when I am gone that should start driving my why, right? Like, okay, yeah. if I'm going to be able to be healthy enough to really take care of my kiddos or really be present for my family or build the company to then pass on to my child or whatever those things are that mm -hmm. actually start to outlive you, right. I think when you can right. start thinking that way, it allows you to get outside this little tiny concentrated bubble of me, 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 what do people think of me? And I think that's where a lot of the pressure comes from, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, man, I look and and I think social media, I mean, I cannot tell you how many authors we've talked to uh from who are, you know, super into minimalism, uh some who are just psychologists who have said how detrimental social media can be to that sense of purpose and to our sense of ourselves. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I think it can be an awesome tool. I think just like anything, anything can right, become right. a great tool or it can be completely damaging. It depends on how you use it and why. So again, you have to have a why statement for that too. Like for me, I was like, I will not use social media for entertainment. I don't want to be a content consumer because I think I want to be a con I want to be a contributor, right? So, right. and that's not necessarily for everyone, but for me, I decided my why for utilizing this space is I'm using it to communicate a message and as a tool to drive people to the next step, whether it's a resource like a book or a course or the next thing that's really going to help them better their lives. Yeah, and so. If it's not, and then I have to, I, there are times I'll sit there and I'm like, I've been scrolling for 10 minutes. I've yes. turned this into an entertainment, not right. a tool. And, but, but that's because I have that why figured out. So I think that's one of the biggest things is looking at it like it can be detrimental or it can be a tool and a, and a means to an end. Yeah, but we still need, I mean, like you can't be putting a message out there if there aren't consumers for it. So, but you exactly. also still want them to be healthy. So how do they consume your message but right. without consuming an unhealthy one? 
Well, right. And I think that's the other thing is it can be, you know, you can consume something without getting lost in it. So I guess the best way to say is like, it can still be an educational tool. So are you following people to grow that challenge you to grow that, you know, I guess, give you tools, education, lessons, valuable life lessons? Or are you just watching, you know, pointless videos all day long, right? So I think it comes back to, is it a place that you're getting caught in an entertainment and wasting time being entertained or comparing yourself? Or are you using it as a still a tool, even if you're not necessarily creating mm-hmm. something to educate yourself? Right. If you're not, you maybe want to reevaluate what are you really getting out of that? How is it helping you further your next right, step? Right, right. And, and so, I, I mean, I, I find there are things about, about social media in general that I love. I love hearing other people's mm-hmm. opinions. I love being able to share articles that I find interesting and connect with people around the, around the world. I love keeping in touch with people that I went to school with that I wouldn't normally know what they were up to, but I get to see their kids and stuff. Like I, I like all that, mm-hmm. but I find that what I end up doing is exactly what you're talking about, where I spend so much time passively scrolling through that mm-hmm. I end up, uh, and I don't want to spend all day talking about social media, but still, <laughs> but then I, I, it's like a default position. So I deleted a bunch of the apps from my phone and it's made a mm-hmm. huge difference. You know, and yep. I, I'm, I'm more intentional about the times that I choose to log on and, and, I, and I don't feel as addicted sometimes. Yep. One big, one big thing that can be really helpful that I want to pass on, especially to anyone who might be a business owner or uses social media to build a brand, because right. I know in that space, especially as a business owner and someone who uses social media to build a brand, there is this kind of pressure to be consistent there, right? Like I was right. talking about relevance. Like if you just peace out for two weeks, <laughs> it's going to hurt your engagement. It's going right. to, you know, right. all these things. This is how it works. And so I was like, you know, I want to find a better way than this hustle and burnout train that I've gotten on where you right. feel like, okay, I got to be relevant, got to be relevant. Now I've burned out and I want nothing to do with it. You log off for two weeks, you get back on and you're stuck back into the black hole. You got to right. kind of build it back up. So I thought, you know what, I want to create a consistent routine. So depending on the season, I've tried one of two things that both have been very effective. The first is doing something like two days on, one day off, two days on, one day oh. off. That way I'm cycling through and I consistently have breaks, but I'm not, um, you know, going away for two weeks randomly and then coming back and being bombarded, right? Yeah. So that's one way. I love the idea of deleting the apps and getting on it specifically, you know, when you choose to. The other thing that I've done more recently, especially being in a season of book launching, and I have to, I can't do the two days off, one day on things just to do all that's required of me right now. Yeah, totally. So what I decided was, you know, what, I want to do a 24-hour break mm. um, every weekend. And I set it up so that I kind of trick even the algorithm. So I share this for people who actually do use social media for work because I know it can be tough to be like, how do you just take a whole day or two days Mm -hmm. or three days off? So I will in the morning on like a Saturday, I'll kind of make my last little story post, whether it's an inspiring quote or a swipe up or a podcast Mm -hmm. episode or something. And then I log off until the following Sunday afternoon. And so then Sunday evening, you know, I'll get back on and I'll make my post for Sunday evening. So I've actually still been like active on day but I've given myself well over 24 hours to fully be off and not right. be responding and reacting and you know all this right and that has been so helpful because it's yeah. almost like my brain gets a reset once a week every week yet I'm still stewarding that space well so yeah. just a simple little hack for anyone using it for that purpose is yeah. really helpful and for the people that want to like connect with you, you they know that mm-hmm. okay that you're you're still connected with them but that yep. you're not but that you're not you're not doing it at the detriment to your of your mental health Yep, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you said earlier that you and and it, and I've also seen it in some of your stuff online that you are you know purpose driven life specifically for your po- your podcast is called She, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. So you're 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 focusing on women. Why why is your focus on women so important? Why 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 is purpose for women mm-hmm. something that you feel is a niche you've had to fill? 
yeah, it kind of was something I fumbled into just paying attention to as my audience connected with me. And as that grew, I realized how concentrated it was on women in their 20s and 30s. Specifically, what I noticed about that demographic is that that is a demographic of, you know, A, I'm in that demographic, so I get it. (laughs) But beyond that, I'm like, man, there is so much transition. And I think personal growth and finding your, even just who you are and where you fit in those years. And so when you're going through, oh, I just graduated college. Now I'm trying to figure out my job. I thought this was my dream job. It actually sucks and I hate it. (laughs) Oh, wait, now my friends all got married and I'm still the girl in 27 dresses and now I'm moving again. Like, oh, now I'm having my first baby. Like there's so much transition in that 15 to 20 year span. And there's transition in every season of life for sure. But I think it's different in that you're establishing yourself through those transitions. Right. You're not established. You don't have your roots. You don't have your family built yet completely. You know, you're kind of in those growing phases. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, paying attention to that, I'm like, man, not only is it so transitional, but when you're going through transition after transition, it is so hard to really nail like, well, who am I and what am I made to do? <laughs> like, what's the right thing and how do I land on it? And my friend's doing this. Should I be doing that? You know, mm-hmm. um, so the more that I just opened up about that experience that I was going through and finding what are my passions, you know, I've, I'm multi-passionate. How do you navigate that? And right. I'm an achiever and there's transition and my husband has big dreams. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of moving parts. <laughs> and so I'm overwhelmed you know, just talking about it with you. Oh, I know. And that's how I think so many women feel. So this yeah. pressure to prove that we were talking about really comes in. And I think it more so than, and even for men listening, I think this is really important to know because I think it can really affect relationships. Um, feeling like there's this, I got to figure out my thing and I want to support you if, you know, I'm in a relationship with you and I also want to feel relevant with my friends. And there's almost this really consistent interconnectedness that's awesome, but I think it's making many women feel isolated and also feeling like, well, and I don't even know what I want to do. And the second they think they've nailed it, they learn about a new opportunity. I was talking about in the book, I talked about like when you go to a buffet and there's lobster mac and guacamole and like all the good stuff, how did you pick, right? right? And I think in our culture, it's almost like, I don't think our issue with finding our purpose is you know, um, a lack of opportunities per se, I think it's actually now become there's this endless list of options. Whether you go to college and they hand you this long list of majors and degrees to choose from, or you can try a thousand different things online. Like it's almost like the burden of choice paired Mm -hmm. with all these transitional periods of these, you know, these kind of two decades. It's a lot to navigate. And I think that's why that question is so prevalent because there's almost so many different options. It's hard to figure out what's my thing. So that's yeah. a really big thing I tackle in the book because I know how relevant it is because I'm in it. <laughs> Do you have a Cliff's Notes version for how to figure that out? Well, I think the biggest takeaway, I mean, again, I think there's a lot of self-discovery, but the biggest takeaway is first understanding that the purpose is not in the position mm. because I think a lot of us look to I want to be a doctor. That's my purpose. Or I want to be a mom. That's my purpose. I want to be a blogger. That's my purpose. And I'm like, cool. The second blogging is not cool anymore. Has your purpose gone away? Like, but the second you retire from being a doctor, like I think we've now what we've done by utilizing this phrase, I need to find my purpose. We first lied to ourselves, telling us that it's outside of us and lost. And the second thing is, um, you know, the way I would say it is thinking about it, purpose is the significance that you bring to the specific Mm -hmm. places. Mm -hmm. It's not the specific places itself. So I think that first mindset shift needs to occur. Joy and find fulfillment in whatever thing. Because when we say find our purpose, I think what we're ultimately saying is I want to find my sense of fulfillment, right? I want to feel like what I'm doing matters and is meaningful. And going back a little bit to our conversation about how we were saying, I think we're all kind of drunk on motivation to some degree. Yeah. It's like, I want people to experience happiness. I want us to, you know, really find fulfillment what we do and that's why understanding the significance the true why behind what we do 
even if it's not the most glamorous, cool job in the world, it'll suddenly have a new sense of purpose and meaning when we can actually identify that and bring it to that specific place. Yeah. But going back to that, that conversation about motivation, it's like, I think a lot of it rides completely on be happy, be happy, be happy. And I had this realization as I was writing the book, I was like, well, hmm, maybe we shouldn't just be chasing a happy life. Maybe we need to learn what it's like to live a meaningful life. And that yeah. means there's going to be some times that aren't so happy or some things we have to persevere, but we all want to avoid that because it doesn't look cool or fun or sexy. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a really big, I know that's a lot to like kind of digest, but those were some big kind of takeaways and lessons that I learned as I was exploring this topic and writing the right. book. You just, you just mentioned walking away from stuff that, you know, or sticking with stuff, even when it's not cool or fun or sexy. And I think mm -hmm. that ties really nicely mm -hmm. into, you, you know, your, your big part of your book is to undo or get out of the box of other people's expectations. And I think that's, yep. I think that's really hard to do. How do you unpack where your own desires are and versus where other people's expectations inside of you and your desire to be a people pleaser overwhelm. I know you're a three and mm -hmm. not a two on the Enneagram, but like, like for <laughs> your husband as a that. nine, how does he find, how do you help your husband navigate? You think you have a, a two wing? Is that what you said? I think I might be a two wing because right. I have a little bit of that for sure. But um, your husband is a people pleaser. How does he get out of other people's expectations and find his own? See, this is what we, this is where I struggle. That's why I can't diagnose his Enneagram because to me, he doesn't come off like a people pleaser. So right. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe he's not. I, this is what's so hard. But I will say from a people pleasing standpoint, because I definitely resonate with that to some degree. Um, one thing that my mom gave me advice on when I was trying to figure out, you know, well, what am I supposed to do? And what's everyone else expecting me to do? And I read about this in chapter four a little bit. But one big piece of advice she's given in my life is, hey, go back to when you were five. Because again, like I said, we're all trying to find fulfillment, right? When we say, I want to find my purpose mm -hmm. or I want to find myself, I need to find myself. And it's like, sister, you're not lost. Like, brother, you're not lost. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's an undoing of cultural maybe expectations or yeah. other people's expectations yeah, 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 yeah. put on you. And so my mom once told me when I was like, I don't know what I need to do. I have all this pressure, you know, having like a, when you're 20 year old, mm -hmm. 20 years old and having a mm -hmm. midlife crisis. Uh, yeah, which like, is, I think, I actually think social media has accelerated midlife crises to I this agree. point. What, where we're it's having hilarious. them in our in our late twenties instead of our forties. Uh huh. Totally. And she, you know, she said to me, she goes, Jay, go back to what you did when you were five. You need to revisit what you did when you were five because when you're five, you don't have all of you know, like we talked about with college, this is what you're supposed to do. Right. Right. This is right. your step. This is what you're supposed to do. None of that conditioning has really fully taken over your brain yet, and so mm -hmm. you're what? What were you doing? And so I looked at it and I was like, well, I was playing make believe. I was right. teaching my stuff animals because i love to teach and educate and they all really cared about it you know my stuff there really loved that i um, i've heard you know. <laughs> your stuff bear tweets all the time about the lectures you used to give <laughs> he was great he was a great student a plus yeah. um but you know like i was i love to teach i love to play make believe use my imagination and i would write short stories oh. um so it really kind of makes sense of what i have mm -hmm. walked into and what i have taken on and again i didn't even really intentionally say oh okay cool that means i need to be an author what it actually said was, okay, I really love to use my voice mm -hmm. and influence others for good. So maybe I'll just start putting that out there a little bit. And that didn't immediately become a career overnight. In fact, I wasn't even intending for it to become a career. I have a degree in healthcare administration. Tell me how that adds up, right? Yeah. But I think as we allow ourselves to say, okay, you know what, maybe I'll take the label of this degree or that you know, title off a little bit and allow myself that wiggle room to explore and go back to what I did when I was five, even if that's just on the side, you know, starting small. It mm -hmm. allows us to discover and rediscover, I think, our natural giftings and ourselves mm -hmm. outside of maybe our perceived expectations other people have of us.
Yeah, um, but, I th- and I, but I just, I think we'd have a lot of firemen and astronauts and uh, uh, and, and and bug researchers if everybody did what they wanted to do when they were five. Um, but I think, I mean, I mean, I think beyond beyond again, those are like the labels because those those seem right. like cool things to do. But I think your point is is I, I make light of it, but it's a good one. Where mm-hmm. if we look at what lit us up before there were other people's mm-hmm. thoughts in our head, mm-hmm. uh, that'll help. That can help inform maybe something else that we could be doing now. It doesn't have to, if, 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 if you want to be an astronaut, maybe it's because you like the idea of flying, maybe being a pilot or, or right. becoming a uh, drone photographer is, is for you. Yep. Like who knows? Yeah. But there are, you know, that I think, I think that's an important way of finding your the purpose. I it. Think it doesn't mean that's exactly what it is. You know, I didn't yeah. go teach in a classroom. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, so th- this is amazing. I've, I've kept you for, for, for a while now. I do want to talk about, <laughs> Your your podcast got really popular really fast, and how did you find that? When you just first of all, how did you decide to do the podcast? She and and how did how did it resonate so well so quickly? I decided to do the podcast um, a little bit in response to the request for it, and mm-hmm. I I put it off for a little while because I really wanted to define why and what is it going to be again. That's a really big thing for me, mm-hmm. um, and so we took some time to really think about that and really pay attention, and um, it really did grow. Quickly. I have a very engaged community, which is absolutely amazing, and they've really kind of taken it to where it's gone at this point, only six months after releasing it. Um, but I think part of the reason it resonates is I've been really intentional about speaking my audience's language, and mm-hmm. I always come back to that. I mean, even our episodes are literally titled what they say, like, how do I navigate the awkward post-grad years? <laughs> I never would have said that. I never would have said awkward post-grad years. We're going to have an episode coming out, what to do when your brain feels like bush. You know, like, yeah. I don't say that, but they say it. And so really paying attention to what questions are they actually asking, and mm-hmm. then finding either the right experts to speak into it, or just titling things and speaking around those topics as such. It's crazy how much they get shared and how much they resonate. So that's, I think, one of my little, I don't know if it's a hidden talent, but it's really just a a skill that I've really tapped into is how do you translate the right lingo, the right language, and the right conversation topics in such a way that resonate and get shared. And that's been a really big thing in the growth of it and I think also the impact of it. But Yeah. yeah, it's been a really fun project. And if people want to follow up with you, uh, I mean, we talked about getting off of social media, but if they want to follow up with you, how, where can they find you? How can they follow up? Absolutely. Well, I am on Instagram as Jordan Lee Dooley. And also my website is jordanleedooley.com. So it's all pretty consistent. And that's where the On Your Everyday book can be found. It's at all major retailers. So uh, pretty exciting. But we're we're all over the, the web and now all over bookstores. <laughs> yeah. So links to your social media as well as the new book "Own Your Everyday" in the show notes. Jordan, how did you? Why "Own Your Everyday"? Why, why, why that title? So it was originally "Own Your Awkward" as a joke. That was never going to be the title. Ooh, but but I, I like that because <laughs> I'm super awkward I, uh, and I own. I'm it. so awkward, and I remember I was we were trying to come up with the title, and I was at an event, and I had made a fool of myself on stage. I embarrassed myself something. And I said, "You know what, guys? Sometimes you just gotta own your awkward." And I can't tell you how many women came up to me afterwards said thank you for being awkward yes <laughs> and so anyways i was like well i mentioned that to the publisher and like you know what we love the own the ownership piece not sure about the word awkward but we like the word own because it's so it, it requires ownership there's an element right. of like kind of a kick in the pants but then the right. word every day we spelled it as one word um because every day has one word kind of has a dual meaning and mm-hmm. it also the synonym is ordinary so the idea is it's more like a kick in the pants with the word own and then kind of a warm hug with the word every day. It's like mm. own your real life, own your imperfect, own your everyday. Yeah. 
Yeah, which I think is, you know, I think it's important is understanding who you are means the the good and the bad. And you can't improve unless you understand where your where your ordinary day is bad or or where where your uncomfortable yep. parts are. And maybe you need to own those uncomfortable parts. Maybe maybe that's who you are is the person that is a little bit rude in the carpool line or <laughs> or or whatever, you know, like, or starting the, there. Yeah, I always say you can't do the extraordinary things until you learn to show up for yeah. the not so cool everyday thing. So yeah. that's where it really comes from. Uh, last question, and this is something I ask to everybody on the show. What is something that people can start doing today that will help improve their life? Ooh, I think the a hard one <laughs> is going back to what we said, ask for help. I think oh. a lot of us try to go at life alone. So yeah. who is one person in your life that you could reach out to and ask for help, whether it's a spouse, professional help, uh, you know, a coworker, what's that thing you're trying to go at alone that you really don't need to be? I would say pull yourself about the bootstrap and not to do it yourself, but pull up, <laughs> pull yourself up by your bootstrap to have the courage to actually ask mm. for help. Mm. So. That's a good one. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jordan Dooley. And uh, again, links to all that stuff in the show notes and uh, hope to talk to you again in the near future. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. So do you have time to actually read all of these books? I mean, uh, so I, 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 they send me copies and I, I usually have a chance to skim them. Right. But they also, they're very nice. The publicists know that if you do an interview show, you can't read, they, they give you a little Cliff's Notes that, Which is great, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. Get, I, get a, I get a real good rundown of everything that's in the book. And then if there's a particular area that I know I want to focus on, I can read that chapter. You know, and you're also, you're so well-versed in, in so, so, so many uh, self-improvement uh, strategies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and doing this for 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 so long that uh, I think it's great that you that you listen and that you don't have a the biggest mistake people can make is that they have a list of questions right and yeah and I noticed that in, in the last uh, couple of podcasts I listened to where you're you're listening and following up I did, actually the scariest interview I ever did uh, thanks for asking is uh, <laughs> just kidding is uh, was with Ted Koppel yeah so you remember Ted Koppel from yes. Nightline yes. the younger kids won't remember but he was just with master master live interviewer and I was interviewing him for for Entertainment Tonight, of all things. And I'm sitting there. I'm in a suit. He's in a suit. He's Ted Koppel. I've got a, uh, a yellow legal pad with a whole bunch of questions on there. And I'm, and I'm asking him one question after another. And I'm scared out of my mind because he's the master interviewer. Mm-hmm. So at the end of it, I said, what is the key to doing a, a, a great interview, uh, Mr. Koppel? He says, not doing what you're doing right now. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry? He goes, yeah, you should, you should just... You should put, you should have put that down. You should just be listening to me and uh, and and, uh, and asking follow up questions. Yeah. Oh look, so he, that, that's totally fair on his part, and I get where he's coming from. And and I, but I have it easy. We do a podcast, and a podcast is a long form conversation. I don't have to get sound bites out of these people. So right, if they go right, left right, on right. something yeah, yeah, yeah. and they want to talk for twenty yeah. minutes on one subject, yeah. that's fine. I can do that because of this format. Speaking of this format, if you like this podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever. You get your podcast. It makes a big difference. Also, if you like this episode or any of our episodes, please tap the share link and share them with a friend because every time you do that, it really helps us out and get them to subscribe to this show. If you want to follow up with us, John Tesh is at John Tesh on uh, on Twitter. Facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we spend most of our time. We do Facebook Lives there. We post content every single day. Great place to interact with us. Also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every comment uh, or, or direct message, any question. If you have a suggestion for someone we can interview, that's a great place to let me know and I will try to schedule them for an interview. But most importantly, we cannot do this without you guys. So I just want to say, more than anything else, thank you guys so much for listening. We can do it without them, but we would prefer they listen. 
Well, I yeah. guess I guess technically we could just scream into the void. Yeah, I used to do that when I was. I had my own like radio radio program. Uh-huh. I used to broadcast into my car, so I could do it without them. But we don't want that. We, no, we don't want that. Yeah. And I, I spend enough time shouting into the void. My kids don't listen to me, so it's <laughs> nice that you guys do.